Blog Talk Radio. during that open you needed a little Alex Zane on the on the air. Hey uh MySpace me David Fuller's number I don't have it anymore. Oh okay. You don't have it? Okay well let nah. me get uh Miss Mr Wolf on here for a second here. Oh, okay. Yeah you uh, sounded all choppy, you didn't sound confident, didn't have Alex Zane on the air. I just got well, my sushi my watching my board's uh, a little and... fucked up. But oh, uh on no. the air now I I have uh, Texas Independent Pro Wrestler Chris Wolf. What's going on, Chris? How's it going, man? Not bad, not bad. Same old shit. Uh, we're gonna get your partner David Fuller on real quick. So, uh, actually, I'm gonna have to send the number to Alex because uh, Alex is gonna call him in because uh, Mr. Fuller needs to uh, update his fucking cell phone. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. Homie needs to, you know, upgrade that shit. So he can call in. Well, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll let him handle that. Well, since I have you on the air, brother, um, tell us a little about a little about yourself. You're from Texas. I am born and raised in Texas. Uh, cool. I mean, you know, when, what I break, I broke in when I was maybe I don't know, 15 or 16. Uh, mm-hmm. I met Fuller around the same age. Uh, you know, we were both huge, you know, huge marks. We'd go over to each other's house and, and watch Raw and Nitro every, every Monday. And, uh, you know, and one thing, you know, oh man, we should, we should, we should try to do some moves on each other in the backyard. And, you know, that learned, you know, next thing you know, we had more friends and, you know, next thing you know, we had a ring and we were making all these contacts and, you know, and then we, next thing you know, we were up and down the road, you know, doing independent bullshit like that. Set, Alex. Hey, did you uh, did you grow up watching the Von Erics? Um, no, not. I mean, very little. I mean, I was. Uh, I'm. Everybody down here is huge Von Eric marks, and I just never really, you know. I was watching WWE and 
And I just I could care less. To, to me, you know, all that world class shit, all that look, just it, I would I would watch that, and then I'd watch WWE and world class look so generic. So I was watching WWE like oh, at the time WWF all the time. So I I didn't grow up a huge Von Eric Mark or Freebirds or any of that shit. Cool. So you you and David struck up a friendship, and how was uh. You know what? The, the the hell with Dave. We won't wait for him to get on the line. How did insane <laughs> hardcore wrestling come about? Well, like I said, you know, we'd mess around in my backyard. I mean, I was living. We had my living with my mom, and we had this duplex with a fairly, you know, fairly big backyard. And uh, you know, uh, we'd mess around. We had all kinds of gimmicks, frying pans, and and cookie sheets, and steel chairs, and all that shit, and. You know, we were. You, you could see the early tapes of the early IHW where there's actually grass, and then it gets. You can see it get progressively and progressively worse. It's just a big pile of dirt in the middle of the yard. And uh, one thing I don't, I can't remember how we got hooked up with the guy with the ring, but we were gonna have a show, and they're like, "Oh man, that'd be awesome to get a fucking ring," you know. And we were already. He was training with Johnny Valentine at the time, so we'd already worked. It kind of worked out in the ring. And we were we definitely weren't fully trained, but I mean we kind of knew our way around the ring, and uh, you know we got the ring, set it up. At the, that that first show we had uh, we had Rodney Mack there. He 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 did some shit, and you know uh, there was a local NWA going that would run on Fridays, and we'd go up there and watch the show and hang out with all the workers. Afterward, we you know we'd start making contacts like, hey man, you want to? You, you, we got this cool backyard thing going. We got a ring and everything, and all kinds of fucking people. And I mean, you know, we we you know we get every we get almost all those NW those NWA guys would work. They'd work NWA on Friday, crash somewhere over over, over Friday night, and then work our show on Saturday. And you know, it just started. It, it kind of started to just you know snowball, and you know, people, you know, tw- you know, we were having all these newspapers contact us and TV, and I mean, it was pretty crazy. Alex, do we have David on? Yeah. Good evening. What's up, Mr. Fuller? What's up, man? What's going on? Oh, SOS. I see you have met my uh, my 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 rival, and now my my brother-in-law, Mr. Wolf. <laughs> Keep it in the family, Secret. baby. Yeah, definitely. You go from rival to brother-in-law. How's that work? That's hey, crazy. Hey, man, you I know, know uh, I, I, I fucking, I'll never get rid of this guy some now. People, <laughs> some people uh, like. Well, some people wanted to. Uh, some, if we were running today, uh, Wolf would be considered the Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, of, uh, wow. David, did you call on yourself? No, I had it, Mr. Saint. No, okay, okay, because I I just had someone else from the eight one seven call in, so and I passed. Uh-oh. Through. Uh-oh. They were Uh-oh. shy, so. A, oh, did they did they cut off? Yeah. I I opened the okay. Let's open it up. All right, call on, caller from the eight one seven. Who am I speaking? Hello. Hello. Yes. Welcome to Rubber Guard. Hey, this is Paul Lewis. Oh, Paul Paul? Lewis. What's up, Fuller? (laughs) Paul Lewis was the uh, 
Paul Lewis is one of the guys who uh, who who was a, who started in wrestling uh, after IHW came. He's a local guy. He currently manages at Professional Championship Wrestling. Uh, okay, hold on, Dave. Bucks. Hold on, Dave. I've watched the first two episodes of that show. That's the good stuff. Dark. Okay. Yeah, that stuff is good. That's fun TV. <laughs> it's interesting. It it is what it is. I'm not going to sit there and and criticize that. I'm I'm going to sit there and say I'm proud to be a part of professional championship wrestling. I enjoy working the shows. I enjoy who I manage right now. Um, the show is is what it is, and it's focusing mostly on the family this season, and that's what it needs to be. I mean, it's named after them, the Buffy Bunch. And I will say no ill will towards anybody of the Bussy family. And that's not because I'm protecting my job. It's because I truly like the Bussy family. Mike Bussy and Cheryl Bussy are top-notch people beyond any. What you see, as, as likable as they are on that show, they are that likable in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, I, I, that, that show, it, it captures my attention, and I don't want to turn it off. So I, I it's get, doing its job. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, I know we're talking about IHW here. I'll go ahead and say this about this. Uh, you know, Mike Buffy. You know, I don't work for professional championship wrestling. I have my reasons, but I can't say you no know, good things about Mike Buffy as a human being and as a businessman. So I thought the show was very well done. But back to Paul. Paul uh, Lewis actually came in in 2003 and was the IHW commissioner. So, yes, at the invite of the man who invented IHW. Well, one of, one of the men. Uh, uh, Wolf, and it's funny, I think Wolf got into it earlier. It, it, Wolf, myself, and Balls Rider started it. Just three kids screwing around in the backyard. Okay, well, you don't have to here. mention Balls if you don't want to. Uh, I'm joking. Chris, do you want to say anything about Balls? Uh, say nothing about my going, Balls. Man. Keep going. <laughs> well, anyway, we is he in Triple H category with you? No, no just, uh, yeah, I just keep going. We're not. That's a long. Uh, uh, you know, we might get into that later. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, nevertheless, we all had our jobs. Um, Wolf. It was at Wolf's house. It was his backyard. So Wolf and his family. God bless his family. His mother and um, his sister. Growing up, they grew up, and his mom put up with a bunch of our shit. And if it wasn't for her putting up with our shit, I said it would have never ran. Ball, uh, I kind of took over the matchmaking and the financials, which clearly explains why the company's out of business. <laughs> but uh, I there, took that over, and uh, I took that over, and uh, then Balls, Chris, what the hell did Balls do? Uh. Yeah, he might have brought some chairs a couple times. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Sounds like ball. Anyway, he he show up, work his match, and mope around. I mean, he was uh he didn't really bring a lot to the show. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, he was just kind of there. Well, what was amazing was what was amazing was the fact that I could not believe once we got the ring, everyone wanted to be a part of IHW. I mean, you know, uh, it it was the scene. It was NWA Southwest and ICW. There was no PCW. There was no XCW. It was ICW. Or TCW. 
RTCW, a company that Paul started with that later became XCW. There wasn't those organizations. There was only two, and one was in a backyard, and the other one was an NWA. So, and um, you know, a lot of a lot of guys. Brian Kendricks. Brian Kendricks showed up one day. He just went through the NWA Southwest School of Wrestling. Something if you ask him now, he'll deny. Uh, <laughs> he went through that school. And he wanted ring time. Well, the guy at NWA wouldn't book him because of the size. The guy at NWA before IHW, Ken Taylor, the promoter of NWA Southwest, would not book cruiserweights. He wouldn't book them. So IHW comes along, introduces the light heavyweight division. We're introducing Joey Corman to the area. We're introducing Chip Riggs. <clears throat> Funny story about that. Alex, KZ, you know Joey Corman, one of the older boys, correct? Right, right. Okay. KZ, you're... You're smart to that, right? Of course. Okay. So anyway. So much shit, Corman, dog. All right, all right. So Joey Corman's just starting Damn. the business. So we, uh, uh, Chris and I go to Terrell, the organization called EPW, Extreme Pro Wrestling, and we see Joey. So we go up to Joey, and we ask Joey if he wants to come work for us at IHW. He's like, can you give me some gas money? Ah, you know, 10, 15 bucks, whatever. So anyway, so we bring Joey in, and yeah, that's fun. I make the decision to go ahead and introduce the light heavyweight division and make him the first champion. So, okay, it's going to be Joey Corman versus Chip Reeves, another light heavyweight. They broke in together. They're real good friends. They'll have a good match. So I tell them for the match, here's what I want. You know, I don't care what you do out there. Joey goes over. Got it. So they go out to the ring. They had their match. And, uh, Wolf, I don't know where you were, but I'm sitting there uh, fucking around with somebody. All of a sudden, I heard the bell ring, and they announced Chip Riggs as the new ICW Light Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> so I run up to the front. I run up, I run up to gorilla position, which all that means is the side of Wolf's house. And uh, I run up to gorilla position to find out what the hell's going on. And Joey comes back, and he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, brother. I'm, sorry. I'm like, dude, you're a fucking cruiserweight. He said, he, said he, he landed on my ribs. So we watched the tape. And Chip had done a lion salt, and his knee went right into Joey's rib cage. Joey couldn't breathe. So Joey got pinned by Chip after that, and they went home. Well, they came back all apologizing and stuff, and I said, well, don't worry about it. And, you know, I was just starting, you know. I, I said, oh, don't worry about it. As long as you're okay, that's okay. Of course, nowadays they would have done it. I would have bitched Joey out and told the motherfucker to go back out there and do it again. <laughs> but uh, he would have been too. Yeah. <laughs> Damn so uh, so if, if Joey Corman's ever talking shit to you, Joey does this. If Joey Corman's ever talking shit to you and he wants to slow down, tell that motherfucker, motherfucker, you couldn't win a worked match. Odds, <laughs> odds, are, if jo- odds are if Joey Corman is, is is talking and words coming out of his mouth, it's odds are it's shit talking. <laughs> okay, guys. But I'll give jo- Hey, I'll give Joey this. I saw Joey at a show that Calvin Knapp ran in Terrell, Texas. He was supposed to lose the work match, won the match, called the match back into the ring so he could go under. <laughs> Grundon. You remember Grundon? Yeah. Okay, he was supposed to wrestle Grundon for the light heavyweight title, wins the title three minutes of the match because the guy never kicked out. And then he said, hey, kid, I know you got more in you than that. Come on, let's wrestle again. I'll put the title on the line. And then he goes under. <laughs> And every vet in the back told him, fucking, you should have took the title and took it to the back and been the new champion and stuff. It was his mistake for not kicking out. 
And Joey okay, just said what the booker wanted me to do. So Joey's a stand-up guy. Before we go any further, guys, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a quick promo. And then afterwards, we can discuss it on, on the air. So if everybody on the phone can just keep it down and I'll play this promo, then we can discuss it. About- January 12th, New Wave Pro Wrestling comes back to the downtown YMCA. And your favorite superstar, Alex Saint, will also be on that show facing the one and only Locara. Locara, I understand you're a good athlete, but I don't know that much about you. But what I do know a lot about is the stinking homeless people. Let's face it, San Diego's riddled with homeless people. And as I walk down the street, they all want a piece of me. So you know what? January 12th, I will have my bodyguard. And on January 12th, Locara, you'll find out why I'm the master of the headlock. Now, that was my co-host, Alex Saint. My fingers hurt from counting all the money that I made from after cutting that promo. Something to say. <laughs> all right. Actually, um, before we get going, I do have another call here from the 402 area code. Anybody have any idea where that is? I have no idea. All righty. Caller from the 402. Who am I speaking with? Jay from AngryMarks.com. Hey, what's going on, brother? Not a whole lot. I just, I was fucking sick of TNA Impact, and I looked on the board, and I saw you guys' the show was on. I was like, fucking A right, I'm going to listen to Kid Zombie and Alex. You know, I'm going to check out something a lot better than TNA Impact right now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Absolutely. I mean, hey, they got bullshit going on, like, like Jay, you know, Lethal losing the X Division title in a Team 3D squash match. So, come on. How could I not be listening to your show? I mean, I need to be taking the K-Fade for W's challenge right now and smoking a bowl like Cancer says, because TNA is terrible. I watched the best of New Japan 2006 and listening to David Fuller and friends on the radio, so I had a pretty good night over myself. Yeah, but... Best of New Japan or, or the New Japan Global Impact Special or anything other than the regular Impact, because the regular Impact just sucks. And I know I shouldn't be saying that since Booker T just walked out on TV. I love Booker T, but goddamn it, I hate NA Impact. Blame the booking, don't blame the wrestlers. Yeah, I don't blame the wrestlers at all. I don't blame Booker T for this shit, and I don't blame Samoa Joe for this shit, but goddamn, they give them some stupid shit to do. It's the bookers. <laughs> They're trying to make entertaining TV, not good wrestling shows. Hey, come on, man. you got to get yeah, the cold shark boy. Especially those scripts they've been giving Jeff Hardy to read on Raw lately. Man, Jeff Hardy is excited. God, who wrote that shit? <laughs> Jeff Hardy. You heard Jeff Hardy on a shoot interview? Jeff Hardy. Or could it be? Yeah, I, I love Jeff Hardy, now. but his. He, he's over, and, and I love Jeff Hardy for his wrestling, but, boy, his promos stink. <laughs> Listen to him on his interview sometime. It's not much better. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. Boring. This is damn true. Uh, well, anyway, I just thought I'd call and say hi and compliment you guys on the great show. And, of course, you know that Angry Mark supports the Rubber Guard Radio, and we support everything you do. And big ups for the show last week with Eddie Bravo. That was a great show. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. Thanks for calling in, brother. Absolutely. Have a good show, guys. AngryMarks.com. Yeah, we had Eddie Bravo on the show, and he was fucked up out of his mind. It was a great Yeah, show. He, was, he was whack. All right. 
Oh, dude, he, he was whacked the fuck out. I mean, he just <laughs> just came back from England with, with Joe Rogan for the UFC 80. And, uh, I mean, they were doing a chat uh, late Thursday night, last Thursday night, and they were all fucked up. So I'm sitting there. I'm texting Eddie. I'm all, dude, plug my show on this chat with a thousand people in the room. I'm all, plug the show. Plug the show. And he did. And just to let Alex know, that Eddie Bravo show just topped the 200 download mark. Oh, wow. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, One of the things I was going to bring up with with Chris, and Paul wasn't there. Paul came in 2003. Uh, I came in in 2003. I was nothing to do with the beginning, the inception of IHW. But what I what what I wanted Paul to what I wanted Paul did you hear anything? I mean you were you were tapped in a little bit to the local wrestling scene when you were trying to when you were first talking with Johnny T. So did you hear anything about IHW on any? Yeah, I had heard some stuff about IHW, and I had heard that there were a lot of guys that were going there to work. And I mean, you know, the Kongs reunited there. The Red Dog was working there, and Jazz and stuff. And those were people that were starting, you know were getting attention nationally right? for their, you know, look at their work rate and everything else and stuff. So it was like I had heard a few things, and it was like actually one of the NWA Southwest shows that I, the one of the rare ones that I went to, and so Johnny, he pointed you out and said, David Fuller, he does IHW. He books a lot of these guys or whatever and stuff, and it was, you know, I was like, oh, really? I, You know, that's how I first heard about IHW. It had amazing, it had amazing popularity. Uh, Chris, the one-year anniversary show, uh, a complete train wreck. Yeah, it was uh, the 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 thing I remember. Well, yeah, after watching it, it's definitely a clusterfuck. Uh, I remember we worked the first match, which was awesome for me because I usually spend the show pacing around, trying to plan out shit, and you know, and. This time we were going on first, so I mean, I you know, first first match wet, you know, right out of the gate we do the match, whatever, and I'm you know after that I'm done, you know, I, I could I, that was like the first show I actually got to enjoy and and, and walk around and bullshit and uh, you know I was sitting there with the necro butcher in my fucking in my, and literally in my driveway when he was cutting he was cutting a blade getting ready to gig in the main event, so I mean that you know that was the type of shit that went on. What necro, necro, necro butcher show color? What are you talking about? <laughs> The necro butcher, yeah, the necro butcher in between my mom and my and my truck, you know, sitting there cutting a blade in my driveway. I mean, you know, and then you know you'd walk inside and there's fucking God, God knows who, you know, probably Austin Kong sitting on my couch and uh, you know people standing in the hallway or you know people in my bedroom and, and uh, yeah, that that's the type of that's the, that was the scene in the IHW show, just people strewed throughout the house on you know watching from the side of the house in the ring and. Yeah. We had the Fort Worth Police Department called on us multiple times. The Fort Worth Police came out the, the one of the first few times they were called. They were called due to a noise ordinance violation. But uh, it was in the middle of the afternoon, so there's not much they could do. So they showed up, and they said, hey, we heard something's going on here. They said, yes, professional wrestling. So the cops stayed and watched. Okay, and before, before we get on to something else, um, out there listening in the far northeast, you cocksucker Ian Daniels, call in, man. Call in. I know you're listening to the fucking stream. Call in and join the party. I'm sorry about that, boys. Just got to call out my boy, Ian. <laughs> That's all right. 
But anyway, the one-year anniversary show, uh, the first match was a ICW Texas Championship match. It was Chris Wolf, the champion, uh, the five-time ICW champion. I got to get it right, or I get slapped yeah, with a five-time. Uh, yeah, five-time, five-time. Yeah, the only five-time yeah. champion history against uh, Balls Ryder and David Fuller. Yeah, exactly. And a <laughs> three-way Texas title barbed wire match where we wrap barbed wire around the corners. The goal was to wrap barbed wire around the ropes. But well, yeah, we didn't really plan that out well and we went to do it and it just fucked it all up, so you know, whatever. Uh that show was a train wreck. We also uh Canyon, the guy who Paul currently manages at PCW, our heavyweight champion of ICW at the time was helping me book. And Canyon, you know, I'm not gonna bash anybody on the show, but Canyon had an idea to bring in the Kongs. A Crusher Kong and Awesome Kong, who had wrestled together in WCW in the early 90s. So these guys hadn't teamed up since WCW, so he said it'd be really cool if you reunited the Kongs on your show. Well, I'm 17 years old, so I'm thinking, yeah, that'll be great. Of course, Candy called him and said, you'll make X amount of dollars. Show up. So they showed up. Well, okay, I'm drawing all my money off the gate. And I booked a shitload more talent because this is the anniversary show and this is going to be big. So, okay, I get done with my match around midway of the show. I go through, because people swallow in later in the show. They pay. So, anyway, so I go to count the money. I'm about $300 short, and I have a dressing room full of, full of big wrestlers that I have to pay. So, I started flipping out. I ran home, which is right around the corner from Wolf's house, and I'm trying to find fucking money. I'm calling people, please give me some money, I'm going to die. You know, uh, I'm flipping the fuck out. So what happened was I paid the big guys off, and I I went around to all the guys I could and told them I would pay them later. I'd get their address. And some of them I got to, some of them I didn't, and I feel bad about it. But, man, it was crazy. And, and you know, that mat, the main event was Necro Butcher and Hellhammer against the Kongs. And that match was on the Necro Butcher Earlier, it's floating around out there. And that match was the craziest match I've ever promoted. It was brutal. <laughs> don't, don't mince words. It was brutal. I have to agree. I mean, that match was insane. And I, mean, I remember at one point, if you watch the match, there's one point that defines our whole promotion. At one point, Awesome Kong comes off the second rope on top of a stop sign on the face of Hellhammer. And you hear the cameraman yeah. going, Ah! But... <laughs> <laughs> there was one fan, and you clear stated clear as day. One fan said, "This is insane hardcore." I said, "That's that's what I wanted: insane hardcore wrestling." Because no one was doing hardcore around here. The Necro Butcher had been wrestling for about a year as his real name. He floundered. Nobody cared. He started doing the Necro Butcher. He came to IHW. Chris will tell you the same thing. We let him be exactly who he wanted to be. We let him do whatever he wanted. And in return, we got insane hardcore wrestling. Right, Chris? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, I remember the he Fuller had told me that he booked this this Dylan Summers, this Necro Butcher guy. And I'm like, dude, you know, this guy's probably fucking nuts. You're going to let him loose in my backyard? You know, what the hell are you doing? And, uh... You know, I'm like, you know, whatever. So this guy, show, you know, we're outside getting ready for the show. I just happened to be walking around in the front yard bullshitting with somebody. 
and this guy comes, you know, his buddy his pulls they pull up to the driveway, and I'm like, who the hell are these guys? This guy's got his half his face half painted, just big six foot six fucking guy, and I'm like, this has got to be the Necro Butcher, and he proceeded. He literally tore up my backyard with light tubes and barbed wire and all kinds of shit, but yeah, that uh, yeah, the Necro. I mean, yeah, he's this Necro Butcher is the the, the best. This guy, I've been up and down the road. I mean, you ask me who trained me, it's the Necro Butcher. And he, I've been up and down the road with this guy, and he's bar none. I mean, I, I've, I've met a lot of people, and this guy is the the best entertainer. I mean, you can tell, I mean, there's a probably, uh, you know, probably tons of people flaming him on message boards for being this fucking out of control, wild, just garbage wrestler. But, I mean, yeah, I, I had a match with him, what, how long? What was the day? We've all had a match with him. February, <laughs> February 2001 uh, at IW Crime Scene. We brought back IW, and we're going to get into this. We brought back IW in 2001. After the one-year anniversary show, we kind of put it on anchor. I was out of money, and, you know, Ronnie's mom, and, or excuse me, Chris's mom, and uh, Chris's family had come and said, we really can't do this anymore. You know, they're raising their – they're raising uh, Chris Wolf's sister – and we really can't do this anymore. It was really crazy. So we kind of put it on the back burner. We came back in 2001, and there weren't a whole lot of guys. Again, we didn't have a whole lot of money. We had a building with a ring in it. We weren't charging the mission. There weren't a whole lot of guys that would come work for little or no money. So, But Wolf was there, and he wrestled Necro. Necro came in at loyalty and wrestled Chris in February 2001 at a show called IW Crime Scene. And one of Chris's last matches, and... It was a wrestling match. It wasn't hardcore. That's what people can't understand. Chris, you can tell more about it. You were in it. Well, I don't mean to cut you off real quick, but anybody that wants to talk about Necro Butcher, I've seen him twice out here in L.A. go with Nadia Guinness and Brian Danielson, who are two of the best wrestlers in the world. Necro was in there right with him. So, I mean, no one – I mean, I, I, I don't validate anybody's comments about Necro Butcher. I mean, the, the guy can go. I mean, if you choose – Necro can work. Necro is not all about hardcore. Necro can work. Oh, he can go. Oh, I'm sorry, Kevin. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. And that was that. I mean, that was. I mean, we. There was no gimmicks in that match whatsoever. I mean, we. We went out there and had a complete strong style. I mean, strong style. I mean, there was some stiff. I mean, I've never been hit so hard in my life, and I've never hit somebody hard so hard in my life. I mean, I wrestle pretty. I mean, I work. I work pretty pretty solid. I wouldn't call it a. I wouldn't call it stiff. But I mean, you get in there and you're gonna feel what I'm throwing. And and the first. I mean, I. I I, I started. I, I wanted to after a while, after about ten minutes in that match. I wanted to hit this guy as hard as I could, just because I thought he was hitting me as hard as he could. And I just, I was like, man, if I don't hit this guy with all I got, he's not going to respect me tomorrow. So I mean, we were throwing some serious, serious shots. And it was, how do you how do you fight a guy? How do you work a guy that has no threshold of pain whatsoever? And that was the thing. I mean, I, he and he was selling for me. Obviously, I mean, he, yeah. I mean, I was popping. He'll sell. Him. There's no problem about that. But yeah, he but sold he, for and, me. And, he sold for anybody that he'll get in the ring with. But yeah, I mean, he, he has no and, threshold and, of pain. No, that was the thing. And I, I was like, you know, I was hitting this guy, and and, and that was the thing. I was hitting him with all I had. And I wasn't even worried about him getting pissed off or or him trying to kill me back or whatever because I already thought he was trying to kill me anyway. But. uh I mean, it was it was probably the funnest match I've ever had. You know, as I mean, this brutal stiff shit. I mean, it, it, he killed me. The finish was just an awesome, awesome lariat that I thought I I bumped my ass off for, and it just looked like he completely took my head off. And you know, it, 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 if you ever see a tape of it, I don't know. It's, 
I don't know how many copies of it floating around, but it's pretty shitty quality, and it's in a rinky-dink fucking warehouse. But, I mean, we gave it all we had, and I had a lot of fun doing it. If Dylan's selling the injury, that's when you know he's fucked up because you never – he's always hurt, but, I mean, you never see him sell it. But, like, when he came out here in L.A. the last time, he had a real bad knee injury, and he was lumping around in the match, and then that's when you knew he was really fucked up because, yeah, yeah, he's got a high, high threshold of pain. This guy, I mean, he, we're talking about a guy who, I mean, I, you know, he used to he used to come sleep at my house on the weekends, and you know, he had a he broke his fucking elbow, or no, he broke his tail, but he broke his tailbone, and didn't want to go to the hospital or anything. You know, he just he just come and sit on my couch like, ah, oh, dude, you got a pillow I can sit on? My fucking tailbone broke, you know. So, you know, he was going around sitting on people's pillows for I don't know how long. You know, we're talking about that match. In April 2001, Wolf and I, and, and the thing about Wolf and I, and, you know, I don't mean to go off on a tangent about putting us over, but when Wolf and I, and and, and Paul, Paul was helping book at TCW, now known as XCW in 2000, and me and Wolf, me, I was still finding my nick as a decent worker. I wasn't very good. I could talk. I didn't have a very good look. Wolf had just came back off sabbatical, and Wolf had watched a lot of Japanese wrestling. So uh, we were able to do a little bit in TCW, but TCW had such a full show, and they had their guys, and they had to showcase their guys, and they had a weekly show. So we were able to show a little bit of that at TCW. They didn't really, they didn't really have anything for us creatively, and you know that was what it was, you know. And then we yeah. would, me and Wolf and I would would go work other shows where the the uh, proverbial the proverbial land. Uh, Jacket was taken off of us, and Wolf will test this. No bullshit. We were doing 30 minutes every time we worked, doing the craziest shit you would see out of Kobashi, Masawa, Akiyama, Kawada. We were doing that shit on a nightly basis. Yeah, we. I remember we had this lucha show. It was it was a lucha show at a freaking it was a, at a fucking flea market, and we would go there uh, every Sunday. Like it was in the afternoon. What was it like noon or one or something? And, yeah. uh, I mean, they would just let us loose. I mean, just say, go, go out there for first match and do two out of three falls. And they would just, you know, take, take however long you want. And that's, that's pretty much where I came into my own because I could just, I, would, I didn't have to worry about a time limit or, uh, or, uh, you know, people saying, you know, Hey, don't do this move. You're going to make my guy in the main event look bad. So, you know, I mean, that was really, the, 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 the Lucha shows is where I really started to hone my shit. You know, as far as, as far as working and my, my offense in and and all that, I mean, because those lucha shows, I mean, they would seriously just say, "Go, just do whatever you want." You know, we get paid ten bucks and a fucking and a cerveza. So I mean, it was it was cool. <laughs> it, was, no, it was cool though, because I mean, you know, we'd go, you know, we'd go wake up. You know, we were teenage kids. We'd wake up at like eleven on Sunday, go down to lucha show, bullshit with those guys in our broken in our broken Spanish for a little bit, do our match get paid and go home. I mean, we were home by like two or three and, you know, sit there and watch more tape all fucking day. Here's the thing about Wolf and I. We're related now. Wolf and I were just best of friends. And when you have two guys who are the best of friends and all you do is you're with each other all the time, you're talking wrestling, you're watching wrestling, when you go out there and perform, him, all our objective was was make each other look good. 
That was it. And we had so much respect for each other. We would beat the dog shit out of each other. We would cut each other. You know, we all he had a line. You know, we would always start off our matches with me giving him a hard slap to the face in like a showtape type mode. So what does this motherfucker do? We're working at NWA Southwest. <laughs> and this is a six man tag. This motherfucker and I'm I'm this is one of my first matches uh, one of my first match in that arena. It wasn't NWA but it was their arena. So we're at a six man tag. So I get in the ring and I'm nervous. Because Rodney Mack's there, Hosta Hernandez is there, Necro's there. I'm nervous. So we get in the ring, and I'm trying to remember everything. And this motherfucker, he says, blood's thicker than water. So I'm like, what? He's like, slap me. <laughs> Fucking King Shamrock on St. Valentine's Day Master 1999 with Ryan Shamrock. <laughs> And the, the thing was, the thing was, I told him that I, he, he comes in with this hard ass look on his face, like you know, oh man, you're gonna get it, motherfucker. He comes in with this hard ass look on his face. I tell him that shit, and he just he looked like he spaced out. And for a second there, I was like, oh shit, we're gonna blow this whole fucking match. <laughs> so, but we had another match in April 2001. And it was, it was. I really thought ICW was on the back burner for good. I said, okay, we're going to be done here. So we called up Rodney Mack. We called up Jazz. We said, will you please come to the show and just watch? And Jazz says, let me referee the main event. Well, that was Wolf and I. And she refereed the main event. We went out there for about, what, 20 minutes, Chris? 20, 20 25. 20, 25 minutes and just had the hardest hitting match you could possibly think of. Uh, I'll let Wolf tell the story because he's better at it than me. But there was something involved with the finish. Wolf went over, and uh, Wolf, tell it because I know you want to. Uh, well, I, 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 you know, it was probably one of the last times I was going to get to work fuller. And, uh, you know, I'd always took a lot of pride in my finishes. I didn't, you know, especially on, on, on my matches with him, I, you know, because we do so many matches. I, but I wanted to really have a finish that stood out. And, uh, you know, I'd killed him with lariats before, uh, you know, I had a, I was still, at the time I was still in Sima's, Shima Nobunaga, whatever you want to call him now, I was still in his perfect driver, and I would do like spinning perfect drivers, running perfect drivers, uh, had all kinds of shit I was doing, but I was like, I gotta think, you know, Jazz is here, Rodney Max here, and they, you know, I want to, I want to shine, you know, and I'm like, what the fuck could I do? And I'm, I'm like, you know, I, I know Fuller would take anything. So I was like, well, I'll do. I was gonna do like a, like a brain bust, like a top rope brain buster, which I mean, I know people have seen, but fuck, not not around here. So, so somehow the the I was kind of I was kind of leery of the top rope brain buster. So we went with the the super northern lights bomb, um, and uh, and jazz, of course she. And this is the funny thing is jazz. I'm, I'm like jazz. The finish is a, is a northern lights bomb, and she's like, what the fuck is that? And I'm like, oh god. <laughs> It's gonna look like I'm like it's gonna look like a big suplex from the top rope, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop him on his head. You'll you'll know it when you see it. So, I I I, kill, I, I, I hit him with the Northern Lights bomb, which is about I mean I I it, it looked it felt kind of brutal when I did it, and uh, it looked even better on the tape because he just I, it looks like I dropped him right on his head, and he literally bounces off the mat because I'm I, you know it's coming off the top rope, so it's a, it's a lot of there's a lot of momentum going, and. Uh, you know, I'm a, I don't know if you can hear it on camera, but Jazz is counting, and I'm like, that, that's it, that's the finish, that's it, you know. <laughs> so uh, that happens, and then she, and then Jazz goes on to sign with WWE, and 
And uh, she ends up, what, what WrestleMania was that, Fuller? 18. 18 with Rock Hogan. You know, there's whatever, 70,000 people in Skydome jerking off on each other after Rock Hogan. And uh, they have the women's title match next with Jazz. Who was it? Jazz, Trish Stratus, and who else? And Lita. Lita. Jazz Lita, goes over. And Jazz on the freeway. Jazz goes over in the semi-main, and she steals my fucking move. <laughs> she steals my fucking move, man. Never heard of the move before. Sees me doing it in a match and does it for 70,000 people in fucking Skydome at WrestleMania, man. Fucking bullshit. After Rock Hogan. After Rock Hogan. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. So we call her up the next day. We call her up the next day. I put Wolf on the phone with her. He goes, what the fuck's up with that? <laughs> and, and she's like, she's like, you know, she 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 calling, well, Ronnie, what the fuck can I tell you? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, yeah. That was that was awesome working him again. That was very emotional and it was awesome and I loved it. And that was his last match, and he you know respectfully stepped away. We brought IHW back in 2003. I was running another organization called New Age Wrestling Alliance (DFW). We brought it back as an invasion angle because NAWA had been having good shows, but we needed something different. And this is where Paul could come in and kind of share his stories. Uh, we needed to bring back IHW. It was my idea to bring it back just as an invasion angle. And I'd gotten chastised by some of the workers. They're like, that ain't going to work. Invasion angles never work. You're never going to be able to do it. So I decided, okay, I was a babyface for NAWA at the time. I turned myself heel. I brought in Paul as the commissioner. And Paul, you know, tell him a little bit about that angle. Well, I remember the big turn or whatever and stuff is that you came out and you said you were Oh, you turned heel, and then I came out and cut a promo because I had been working for NAWA, and I said I'd let my standings be known by the end of the night. And so when it was facing off at Balls Rider, and you were beating down some people, I ran up and grabbed the heavyweight belt and said something like, yeah, yeah, and backed y'all off. And then I said, yeah, I'm to come up as a here, this, that, and the other, turn around, whack Chris Richter in the face with the belt. And Who we was all the heavyweight champion stomp, of NAWA? And we all stomped people down and stuff. And I literally, if you listen to the video today, I know that's on DVD because we always make fun of the pink that you hear when I <laughs> smacked Richard with the belt because I had literally smacked him with the belt. It's and work, we brother. Jumped in the, and we, uh, we jumped in the pickup truck and rode away, cut the promo, hiding from the cops. And we jumped, we, we, uh, cut the, it, we did the angle, we, we did the angle, and then what the angle was, well, I wanted to make it as real as possible. So we're in this little warehouse, we got people who are pissed off because it was the 2003 match of the year, Jeffrey Jerry Brown against Dick Lloyd and Chris Richter, that match was phenomenal. And then as soon as the match was over, we came in and shit all over it, beat up all those guys, put them with chairs, I grabbed the video camera, they were taping to show it, I said, give me this motherfucker. We walked through the crowd. Balls are sitting in the truck waiting for it, having it started. We take the NAWA championship. We walk through the crowd. I say, fuck y'all motherfuckers. We jump in the back of the truck, and I say, bye, motherfuckers. We drive away. As soon as we pull around the corner, 5-0's sitting right fucking there. So, <laughs> so we're all, like, hunched down in the back of that pickup we're truck. We're hunched down. We, it, it wasn't, we couldn't retake. 
It was it was, there was no option to retake. We just had to keep going. So we all hunched down. You see, we all hunched down. It was all one was take. All, I mean, all, yeah, it was all one take. Yeah, we cut the promo right there. <laughs> <laughs> They're all hunched down in the back of the pickup truck, saying, "What do you have to say about this, Fuller? What do you have to say about this, Paul? What do you have to say?" <laughs> and I believe we did an angle where I had to have some reconstructive surgery. I had to have some teeth pulled and some dentures put in. So we did an angle where uh, I was going to be out, and I was unable to perform on the first IHW show. So I called Paul, and I said, dude, wouldn't it be great if you bought my teeth? And Paul, what was your response, Paul? I just sat there and said, you want me to be responsible for buying your new teeth? I'm there. <laughs> and so we up, and I award you the IHW title, and then you came out there with your new uh, teeth, and we sit there, and, and you credited me for buying your new teeth and giving you this new look and giving you the title, and it went from there, and it was a good little run. I mean, I mean it cultivated in that eight-man tag, you know, oh, IHW versus NAWA of who's going to control the company and stuff, and that, that was a great match. I was glad to be involved in it. That was a phenomenal match, and, uh, you know. I mean, uh, I did my part. Was, I did my, uh, you know. My Shaw Cradle and Ben Bryan, who was then known by Dick Loin because we hadn't revealed the big secret yet. And then uh, I turned around and celebrated, and then Chris Richter had tagged in and came in and gave me the big boot, and one, two, three, I was gone from the elimination match. Match lasted about 35 minutes, and, and it served its purpose. It, it, it got guys over. It it it, uh, it 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 drama. It put the promotion over big time around here. It was really. Fun. I was filler. I knew that. I mean, I was filler, and I was there to be the first guy to be eliminated from IHW, and I did roll. But I was like, it was funny still walking in the back with a big boot print on my side of my face. What was neat? What was neat is is NAWA, and I know this is about IHW, but NAWA, the other organization I ran, NAWA was put on this earth to take guys who would either quit the wrestling business or walk away from it because it wasn't fun anymore, and we brought the fun back into uh, into wrestling. Uh, Paul. Paul was sitting at home pretty much done with the wrestling business, came back to NAWA, and was kind of revitalized and walked right into a four-year, going-on-five-year gig with PCW where he still is. Yeah, because uh, you wouldn't let me quit. <laughs> You're I was right. sitting at home going, I'm done, I'm I'm out of this. I, you know, certain things have happened that I'm not going to go into, but I was like, no, I'm done. And you're like, no, dude, you're not done. I'm like, no, dude, I'm done. I'm quitting. And you went, no, you're coming back here and you're doing this and you're doing this. And I was like, yeah, but I really, no, 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 dude, you want to. Come on, you're losing weight. <laughs> and I was losing weight at the time. And like you see me diminishing on the tape as <laughs> they go. In, I'm uh, a bad 2003. manipulator. I'm a, I'm a horrible manipulator. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, ask Chris Wolf. I call that motherfucker every day and ask him to come back. <laughs> it's true. He did. But I came back, and then it was like at the end of 2003 and beginning of 2004, that's when PCW called me and said, hey, you're here. You're still doing stuff. You want to come back in? I said, yeah. And so I went to PCW with their Friday show, which was uncut, and I did their Friday show for six months, six seven months before they asked me on to their Saturday show, which was their big shows that they taped for TV or whatever at the time. And 
that's when I got in to do what I wanted to do, which was manage the tag team that I had created over at TCW, which is the professionals, John Allen and Mike Thunder. So Paul was able, Paul was able to go into a, you know, five-year gig at PCW where he still is. And, uh, you know, that was just, it's awesome. You know, I went over to PCW for a little bit, you know, but without NAWA, you know, and I know IHW, IHW was the foundation of, of our careers. IHW was the foundation. If we have a foundation, I got my start there. You know, no bullshit. I got my start in IHW. Wolf got a start in IHW. We're what they call IHW Originals. Uh, other guys came in IHW and made their name later on, either nationally or whatever. Rodney Mack Jass behind Kendrick, Necro Butcher. Uh, we got our found. We got our start right there, and it's big time for myself, Wolf. It's our heart. It's it was our baby, and uh, you know we're coming up on the 10 year anniversary in April, and you know. My God, 10 years ago. It was such a crazy way to come into the business. We spent Friday nights at NWA. We stay up half the goddamn night uh, at Hooters or drinking at, at my dad's house. God bless my father. And I think Wolf and Paul will attest to this. My father has put up with more shit than anybody And alive. your dad does it with a smile. That's what I like about your dad is your dad doesn't judge or – anything like that. He just sits there and says, this is what he wants to do, and I understand what he wants to do. I enjoy this, and this is fine. And he's gone along with a smile on his face every step of the way that I've seen. Right. And Wolf, you know, Pops, Pops loves us. Wolf and I, Pops is Pops to both of us. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's my my father-in-law now, so, I mean, I have to, uh, yeah, I have to respect him. He's nothing to me, but I still like him. (laughs) Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, he, he him, it, it, it pops, pops, and my mom put up with a lot of shit. I mean, I don't know how many weekends, you know, I ha- I'd have, you know, literally like six or seven wrestlers, you know, sleeping on my floor, and you know, my mom comes in my bedroom like, what the fuck? How, who are all these people on the floor? You know, she's trying to go, you know, she's trying to go in the living room. She's tripping over wrestlers, you know, and we did be the same situation over at Fuller's house. There'd be people sleeping all over the floor on the couch. You know, in chairs, wherever we could find it. You know, we were housing all these fucking people, you know, so they could do our show the next day. Well, guys, we've been talking to Storm here, Alex KZ. This is, you know, the, y- y'all got any questions? Oh, I mean, I'm just enjoying listening to y'all talk, man. You got, you got <laughs> 10 years worth of stuff to go through, man. It's, it's unfortunate we only got an hour with y'all tonight. KZ, what's up, man? Questions. Come on now. Well, hey, I will say this, Casey, that uh, all three of us have can attest that you know you like Necro Butcher, you like Dylan so much. We've all three been in the ring with Dylan at one time or another. I was in person put into the ring with him because a guy no showed one night. I'm running TCW, and this is uh, January of 2001 when TCW was running at the NWA Southwest building, and the owner and promoter of the show. I'm the booker. The owner and promoter of the show goes, hey, man, this guy didn't show up tonight and stuff. What are going to do with, you know, that's Necro's opponent and there's nobody there to fight him? And I said, well, my idea is for him to come out and be a heel and challenge you and then, you know, you fight him and then you have to fight in the main event later on. Well, that didn't really fly with the promoter. And the next thing I know, I went to grab something to eat and I come back and they go, hey, we have a better idea. You're the commissioner. 
What better idea than have the commissioner fight next from <laughs> and this is a guy that when I first entered the wrestling business, is this is something you never want to get into the ring with one way or the other because he believes it's real when the match is going on. And there's no threshold of pain, so there's, you know, that. And I go, okay. So then they tell me, yeah, Paul Lewis, it'd be great if you fought Necro Butcher tonight. You know, and I'm like, what, are you insane? Did I... What did you smoke while I left to get something to eat? There's no way. And they go, no, 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 great. We'll, we'll tell Necro when he gets here to take care of you. Yeah, that makes me feel a whole lot better, you know. So next thing I know is Necro shows up to the building with a stop, his bag, and a 12-pack under the arm. And I go, hey, Necro, I'm Paul Lewis. I uh, me before and he goes yeah i know you are and i go it's great um by the way i'm your opponent tonight and he goes what the fuck is this bullshit i can't believe this fucking shit blah 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 and i'm oh i feel so much more comforted right now (laughs) so then he goes and talks to john because he knows john's running the show so then he comes back and he goes all right dude let's go let's go work over this match and i'm like okay he goes wait a minute i want to propose something to you you can do this if you don't want to do this it's cool if you don't want to do it it's cool but uh he pulls out a staple from his bag, and I go, "What are you doing, construction?" But I and hey, we lose him. Hello. Did we lose Paul? I'm here. Oh, Hello? Paul, you're still here, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Is Paul gone? Yeah, it's Paul. Okay, it's Paul. Is David Fuller still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, Paul. You kind of cut out there. My pension is okay. So, no, anyway, so uh, Dylan goes, hey, you know, staple yourself in the arm, see if you can take this. There's a little blood. It doesn't hurt. Da, da, da. So I staple myself in the arm, and he goes, you like that? And I go, yeah, that's fine. I pull the staple out, and blood starts dripping down my arm. <laughs> he goes, ah, don't worry about that. He goes, can you take that? And I go, yeah. And he goes, all right, this will get a match. Like, okay. So we go out there, and we work the match, and. It was the worst beating I've ever taken in my life. I didn't know to say this to a worker in the ring is don't chop me again because that just makes them up your shirt and chop you even harder. And uh, I lived through the match. Uh, thank God the guy that I met at the time, Kevin Dark, was at ringside because he filled up a lot of time. But Kevin Dark took, uh, after Necro Butcher, threw me out of the ring because he said, anytime you get hurt, leave the ring. So we have another match with, he goes, come on, you can do this, blah, blah, blah. So I slap him, slaps him back, I left the ring. <laughs> so I jump out of the ring, and then he throws me into the ring post, which I go into the ring post, no big deal. So I start crawling away, and I'm thinking, if I can get to the back, maybe they'll call the match. <laughs> he turns around, Kevin Dark's standing too close to him, so he wraps a chair around his head. If I had seen this, I heard it, but if I had seen it, I would have got up and run to the back, grabbed my car keys, and said, fuck y'all, I'm done with this. <laughs> so he wraps a chair around Kevin Dark's head and flattens out the chair and comes over to me. And he told me, no matter what I do, if I throw something at your head, don't put your hands up because I'll break your elbows. Okay, good advice. So it's like there was a perfect picture at the time taken by my future and ex-sister-in-law sitting at ringside as the chair is hitting my head, I'm white-knuckling the guardrail 
because I knew not to put my hands up, but I know instinct takes over. So I knew if I didn't do that, I was going to put my hands up and I didn't want my elbows broken. But we go on with the match and then he's like, you know, Necro had come up with a few ideas in the back of, hey, how about you pick me up? You know, you try to pile drive me or power bomb me. And I'm like, dude, I'm five, eight and a half and I weigh 170, 80 pounds at the time. You're six foot four. 260 pounds. No one's really going to believe that I'm going to try to power bomb you. All right, all right. I see your point. All right. Well, you do this and da 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 da. So set some chairs up. I'm going to DDT him on the chairs. He stops me. I scoot the chairs back. He clotheslines me. Hits me in the stop sign. One, two, three. It's over with. But far as I know, it's not Smith because I know what's going to happen. It's Kevin Dark trying to drag me out of the ring. All of a sudden, I'm stomping down on my arm. Manco drags me back in the ring and then staples a bill to my forehead. I had neglected to tell my girlfriend, fiance, at the time all this was going to happen because she spent most of the match in the bathroom crying her eyes out, thinking I'm dying. And then she came <laughs> out right at the time that the dollar bill's being stapled on my forehead, runs right back into the bathroom, and as I leave, I go to the back, and Johnny T, who's the ring announcer who kind of got me into the business, and said, well, it's official. Paul Lewis has lost his mind. So I'm in the back, and then John goes, hey, does your girlfriend know that you're okay? And I said, no. And he goes, okay, I'll go out and get one of the security guards to bring her back. So she thinks the worst has happened if she's being brought into the back. In the meantime, me and John are splitting a beer. <laughs> and... She comes back with tears running down her eyes, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? She was like, you're not dead, and I'm like, it's wrestling. <laughs> Go figure. <take it." laughs> well, I guess that's, that's... – Chase, are you cutting up too? Sounds like it. <laughs> Wolf, I, I appreciate your – I can barely hear him. Yeah, I think Hello? he's trying to tell you. Yeah, um, I think the hour's come to an end, gentlemen. It's been an awesome, awesome interview. Um, any last plugs you want to shoot out real quick before we let you go? Hey, real quick, we got we got a bunch of stuff coming up for IHW. Working on a DVD of IHW's 10 years. Working on a T-shirt. Uh, Paul Lewis is actually going to be designing the IHW T-shirt coming up. He also is a great graphic designer. He's designed the Biggie Seven Fuller shirts and a few other ones www.myspace.com slash IHW Texas for the news on the upcoming DVD in April. Find me on MySpace. Uh, just type in Paul Lewis or Paul Barton. You'll find me and uh, PCWWrestling.com and watch the Buffy Bunch. It's on TLC. It's worth a watch. All right, well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been an honor having you on. And then, uh, I'm David Fuller, I understand you, we got a big show coming up with you next week. Oh, yes. I, uh, I, 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 uh, <laughs> well, <not> <laughs> you just want to leave it like that. I tell you David what, Fuller, I'm a lost for words. Imagine that. A former, a former WWE champion next week on Rubber Guard Radio. And one of the most controversial figures in the history of professional wrestling. Next week, right here on Rubber Dog Radio. Let's just say this. There may be a little 420, whatever day it is, whatever time it is, on Rubber Dog Radio.
Hey, but you, but you know, one mistake was made, though. You know what that is? That? It's, it's not on a Monday night. <laughs> That's true. But it could be on a Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's been a great show. I don't know what happened to KZ, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and have to let you guys go. We're going to have to do this again, all right? All right, thanks a lot, Alex. All right, then, bye-bye. Thank you, bye. It's now a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for action figures, pro wrestling books, pro wrestling gear, title belts, stock.com? Wrestle Warehouse will be able to help you with all of your pro wrestling needs and make sure that you tell them that KZ from Murberguard Radio sent you. Alrighty, Alex, are we back? Hey, we're back. Did you hear that last part of the interview? You were cutting out. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I I was on. I was on. But, uh, wow, that was a pretty good uh, first hour. Oh, man. I think the second hour is going to be real good, too. So, How in the heck are we going to top that one, man? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we just sit here and and bullshit. So, uh, I'm watching Samoa Joe Masawa right now. Caller from the two zero six. Who am I speaking with? Hello. Caller from the two zero six. Welcome to Rubber Guard. Hello. Am I on now? Yes, sir. Who am I speaking? Oh. With? Thank you. It's uh, Chris Del Sol from Seattle. How you doing, brother? Well, How's the weather up there? Uh, it's cold as hell. It's uh, you know, I'm inside right now, so it's not too bad. But uh, I guess I'm supposed to be calling in for a radio show. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, where's Matt? Uh, that's a good question. He's probably just coming down off a coke binge. So I hope to hear from him quick. <laughs> I don't need to call him, do I? No, I hope not. He's probably just doing some blow off a stripper's ass, but hopefully he'll be uh, good to go here in a in a second. Uh, usually I'm the responsible one of the tag team, and uh, we got a big match coming up Saturday night in uh, up in uh, Tulalip or Everett area, just outside of Seattle. And uh, I'm expecting him to call in and talk about the match. Well, I got a question real quick about a former match. I actually wanted to ask both of you this, but uh, today on the Brian Alvarez every other Thursday interviews Buddy Wayne, and Buddy Wayne was saying that uh, you two were responsible for Colonel DeBeer's retirement. So I was wondering if you want to, want to shed any light on that. You know, that's probably correct. We did uh, work Buddy Wayne and Colonel DeBeer's, and I believe his last uh, match ever. And, and uh, after that, I mean, he was pretty much done. I mean, you're not going to go against uh, two perfectly healthy young males and, and be uh, 50-some years old. And, I mean, while he was strong, I mean, that guy is solid as a freaking brick. I mean, that guy's like a freaking log house. Uh, but, you know, I think once he realized, you know, going up against uh, non-arguably the uh, greatest tag team in the Northwest, he decided to hang up the, the boots and tights for good. Well, wait, is it, this must be Matt Farmer. Yeah, I've been actually, I've been actually on the line for uh, two, three minutes now, so. 
Okay. Well, no, come on. He, he, like I said, he's just coming off a really wicked coke binge. I know Matt too well. I've been on the road with him for the last eight, nine years, and uh, he, I can tell when he's fibbing. Yeah, I had to. Yeah, I had to send the stripper away. All right. Well, it's simple. You, you, you guys are stepping in the ring with Caden uh, Matthews, who, who I think has got all the talent in the world and potential in the world, and everybody's friend, Figure Four Weekly's own Brian Alvarez. You know, we've we've actually stepped in the ring with both of those guys before and uh mm-hmm. yeah, it's always a it's always a good match, it's always a hard hard fought contest, you know. Um uh, so we're looking forward to it. I think Caden is one of the uh, is 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 one is one of the rising stars definitely in the Northwest. I mean, I think if anybody's uh, got the potential to go to the big company, it's him. I mean, he continues to get the uh the tryouts when WWE comes to town, and and uh, I mean it's a it's a great matchup every time you step into the ring. The guy knows what he's doing, and uh, it'll be an honor to to work him and then uh, Brian Alvarez. I mean I I believe Brian's what now a buck fifty soaking wet. <laughs> yeah, at, that. at least yeah, I think he's gonna have tennis shoes on, so yeah, he'll be at least one fifty. No, Brian for his size is a, is a, is just a hell of a hell of a worker and uh, really knows how to get around the ring. So I actually look forward. I've worked uh, Brian quite a few times and look forward to getting in there with him and Caden. I'm sure it'll be a, a great match to say the least. So uh, where's this big show uh, this weekend? And what, uh, what other matches are on the court? Uh, the show is uh, the 26th this Saturday. It's at Tulalip uh, Boys and Girls Club in Tulalip, Washington, which is just north of Everett. Um, besides the match we've been talking about, the Suicide Kings versus Cade Matthews and Brian Alvarez, we've also got uh, Buddy Wayne will be stepping into the ring with uh, a newcomer by the name of the Atomic Kid Shallow Mount. Um, from what I understand, the Shallow is going to be getting uh, off the OVW here, I believe, in March. Right after. Um, the Monday after. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, wow. Okay. Gone. <laughs> Didn't know that. So this will be his first pro match, I believe. Um, Shiloh, Shiloh, uh, Shiloh wanted to get into the ring before he left to go abroad. He wanted to get in the ring with his trainer and uh, yeah, measure himself up against uh, the midget Buddy Wayne. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're expecting uh, that to be uh, you know, a, a good match. Buddy Wayne's uh, one of the best wrestlers in the you know, in the industry. I don't care where, you, where you're at, whether you're you know, not just Pacific Northwest. I mean, throughout the entire country, you know, he's one of the top top wrestlers. Um, we've also got Pete Storm, who is another trainee of Buddy Wayne. Uh, he's been making a lot of strides here in the North, Northwest over the last uh, year or so. I believe he was just voted uh, Ring Around the Northwest Rookie of the Year. Um, he's going to be wrestling the ideal reflection, Christopher Rizek. Both two young guys, um, got a lot of potential between the two. Um, we've also got some great matches. Uh, we've got uh, Dropkick Murphy from uh, Canada going to be wrestling Aaron Bolo, who's uh, another up-and-comer. Um, both Chris and myself had the opportunity to, to uh, work the WWE tapings last year with both Bolo and Caden, so um, both of those gentlemen have a lot of potential. I can't say enough, though, seriously, about uh, the Suicide Kings, though. Uh, Chris Del Sol and Mr. Wrestling, Matt Farmer going against Caden Matthews and, and uh, Brian Alvarez, because it's going to be a show. As a matter of fact, tonight... I'm actually attending a, uh, a fitness seminar. I, I do some talent relations on the side, and I'm representing a couple of folks from NBC. 
and actually Jillian Michaels is here, and so I'm taking tips from her. She's the she's the hardcore trainer on The Biggest Loser, and uh, she's here now because what I'm trying to do is, Matt, I don't know if you know this, or not, I'm trying to shed my last uh, about two and a half pounds so I get my abs ripped and hard. And uh, as I watch Ju- Jillian present on stage, I just can't help to think, and even though there's rumors circulating about her sexuality, I just can't help to think, man, I would bang that broad like a screen door in a hurricane. <laughs> is a girl though right <laughs> i think i mean have you seen that show that is one hot ass broad yeah i'd hit it yeah definitely yeah and she's here tonight so we'll be talking to her afterwards but uh yeah that's what i'm doing hanging out tonight just getting really in preparation for the big match on saturday night i mean really everything i do revolves around around the preparation for saturday night definitely definitely um so what? did you guys listen to alvarez and buddy this afternoon yeah, I listen. I listen to that show. Okay, I, I didn't get a chance to catch it, but well, it's Buddy Wayne. What do you expect? Yeah, were they talking about were they talking about how in how awe inspiring the tag team of the Suicide Kings were? I mean, I imagine that would be the case. No, <laughs> sorry, no, no. <laughs> but um, I am. I've promised everybody in the world that I'm going to share my my little nasty boy story. Okay. Um. Uh, you mean Little Batista? Head. Little Batista, there you go. A, That's a good right. friend of mine growing up, um, he trained to be a pro wrestler at the Bay Area Wrestling. Uh, that was a company back in the day owned by Woody Farmer. And if you read yeah. Jericho's book, you'll you'll understand about M, uh, BAW. Anyway, he, he trained there, and he did some uh, WWF TV stuff when they did the marathon five-hour Cow Palace TV tapings. And yes. a week after working the tapings, he uh, he worked a show up in Clear Lake with uh, Buddy Rose, Colonel De Beers, and Little Nasty Boy. Those were the three headliners, and they stayed in a hotel up there or motel up there, and they had three rooms. Two of them were were adjoined with the door in the middle, and the boys all went out drinking, and Nasty Boy left early and came back to his room, so. After the boys were done drinking, they got back to the room, and they, they heard this thumping sound in the room next door. So they knock on the door. No one answers. They open the door. They walk in, and Little Nasty Boy is on this stool. He's banging this 400-pound-looking chick doggy style, and he's screaming, Whoa, Mama! <laughs> and I just I wish I was there for this story. Because little nasty boy, little little Batista banging this four hundred pound chick, I just wow. it, it's it, it's like mini me humping humping Austin Powers' leg. Yeah, me me humping a freaking rhinoceros. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So okay. So since since we're on the subject, I got a little nasty boy story too. Well, kinda. So Mr. Wrestling Matt Farmer and Chris Del Sol working a NWA offshoot down in the Oregon area. And uh, I believe Nasty Boy was working that card, and that's really my only reference to Nasty Boy. But we get done with our match. I'm sure we worked the main, and uh, we're back there with the boys, and we're like, well, where's the shower? Matt, should I go ahead? Come on, i got to go with this one, right? Go, yeah, go ahead. Tell this, it. Go ahead and tell this, it. Is, this has got to be told before retirement age. So Matt and I were like, well, where's the, where's the showers? And they said, well, there's no showers. Well, actually, there is. It's down, downstairs in the, in, near the pool room. The, you know, the, there's a swimming pool down. It was an old Elks Lodge. So we said, okay, so we, we gear up, we get our shower gear on, basically nothing but a towel and our little 
toiletry bag, and we start heading down the staircase. We get past one door, it closes, we check to make sure that it opens, and it does. We get through another one, and before we can check that door, it locks behind us. We're now in a room that's pitch black dark, we can't see a goddamn thing, and we start looking for the shower. Every room, every door around us is locked, except for the door that says exit. And we were sure that the alarm was armed, so we tried to throw some breakers, afraid that we were going to shoot the lights out on the whole building. But apparently we shot the right breaker. We went out the exit door. Lo and behold, we're locked outside. Now, I guess we must have worked the semi-main because there's still one match in the ring. So the only way around was to walk around the building, buck-ass naked, and right through the lobby. And that, that was a night that I'll never forget with uh, good old Mr. Wrestling. And, and if I remember right, that night I saw Mr. Mini Wrestling, too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's, and, and, there's, my, uh, there's my Chris Del Sol story. That was a blast. Walking through that lobby, buck-ass naked, trying to get back to the locker room. And we had to walk out onto a busy road, by the way. Yeah, that's a good time. Good, good times in the Indies. It's a little bit different uh, working the uh, Seattle Center Coliseum. Yeah, definitely. And what's crazy is, you know, we were like the only guys that were showering on the show. And I like to, Buddy Wayne and I talk about this all the time, but guys on the Indies scene now don't shower after the matches. And, you know, when I broke in and when Buddy was around, that was just a given. Yeah, but guys breaking into the business now are, are wrestling shows after uh, three or four practice matches because they sell ten tickets to their their auntie and uncle and brother and dad and all that kind of bullshit. No comments, yeah. Alex. Yeah, you, yeah. You get I can't sell any tickets, man. That ain't why I'm on shows. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'd get ribbed years ago if you weren't showering. <laughs> Well, not only would you get ripped years ago if you weren't showering, but uh, you'd get ribbed if you didn't have boots, if you didn't have tights, if you didn't have proper gear. And they're getting these kids in the ring now that are wearing tennis shoes and sweatpants because they were able to sell 15 tickets to, so their family could come and work, uh, watch them work, jerk the curtain on a uh, rookie Rumble Royal, which is just a yeah. freaking joke. You know, Buddy, Buddy well, Alex has gear, told, so. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, Buddy Rose actually told me that when he was training with Vern Gagne, one of the requirements was Vern told him is that before the show you shower before you get to the building, you shower after the building. It was just a it was a respect thing for the other boys. So that that's one of the things that have been lost in wrestling. I, I know there's guys. one guy that I'm currently training with that he I don't I don't know if he ever showers, but he always smells. And it's not a I mean we rib him, but it's more of a rib on us because we'll be working in the yeah. ring with him, and he'll smell so bad. And no matter what you say to him, I mean, in the end, you're the one getting ripped because you're in the, in the ring having to work with this nasty guy, and you can't do anything yeah. right because all you're worried about is how bad he stinks, and that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, that's when everybody should just stop and say, "There's unfortunately, we're not working with this guy. He's going to have to go shower or do something because that's just a respect issue in the business. I'm sorry about that. That's yeah, a respect definitely. issue as a person. <laughs> yeah, it's a respect person as a human being. You're right about that. Um, guys, can we uh, hold on for a second? Sure. Jessica, can you hear me? Okay. My wife's checking the audio feed, so. Okay. All right, back yeah, as you were, gentlemen. I'm sorry. No problem. Okay, cool. So are we having any? Are we having any callers call in tonight? Um, you know what? What the hell? We'll open the phone lines. Area code three four seven. Three four seven two one five seven nine four six. 
call in if you'd like to speak to the Suicide Kings or God's Gift of Pro Wrestling, Alex Saint, or hell, even your lowly, lowly host, KZ. <clears throat> we have about 45 minutes to go, so uh, we can um, take calls. Anybody want to call in? That's it. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, we, yeah we, definitely we, some... So when you guys worked the WWE shots, what, what were uh, some of the advice some of the guys gave you? Oh, go ahead, Chris. Uh, well, the advice, uh, well, like, what, some of the boys in the back or the trainers? I mean, it was just a, uh, imagine the honor of working with somebody that you've grown up watching, like Arn Anderson, Fit Finley, Ricky Steamboat, uh, Dean Malenko, are in the ring, and you're, you're working out with those guys, and you just, you just hang on every word they say because it's not what they do or, or who they're training, but it's what they're saying, and you've got to listen. And if you're not bright enough to listen to the advice that they're given because every sentence they have advice in there, then you are missing the boat and you, you don't even want to learn your craft if you're not willing to listen to Arn Anderson. And I had the privilege of working out with him two days in a row. And uh, that's an honor. And Matt and I will never forget that just being in the ring with those guys because those guys are true talent and they know how to work around a ring. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Chris even had the fortune of working out with uh, Mickey James and Melina Roca as well. Yeah, that was actually a little bit rough because they wanted to do this spot where they drove the shoulder into your into your midsection or into your gut in the corner, and so certain body parts would hit my certain body parts, and it was uh, it was praying in an act of God and thinking about naked nuns in order not to get uh, not to get the little guy uh, excited and uh, you know have him uh, cut a promo of his own right there in the ring. Yeah. Actually, one of my trainers, Ryan Stone, he actually trained at EWF with Jesse Hernandez, and then he was training with Melina and Ariel. So I don't remember what, uh, who he said the story about, but uh, Jesse had taught him to work really stiff up there with guys. So I guess he was working with them one day, and they were just beating the shit out of them. These little girls. Yeah. Just. Oh yeah, they. I tell you what, some of the some of the best work that that I've seen where where the girls are going at it is. Uh, is Molina and Mickey. They had some of the best runs, and that's when they were working out with Fit Finley and, and uh, really learning how to work. And that's actually where you could actually watch a women's match and not turn your head because it was so disgusting because most of the time you watch it, and it's like the old glow days where there's really, besides the tits and ass, there's really nothing to watch. Mm-hmm. But it's actually nice seeing Mickey James. And actually, Mickey James worked a great match the other night, a good solid match versus that other uh, – the the, the the Glamazon gal, Beth Phoenix, and it was actually respectful oh, to watch them. Too. What's that? Yeah, Beth Phoenix can go too. Yeah, so they're they're getting a couple gals in there that can go, and and uh, you know Trish Stratus, she was the same way. So that's nice to see because it's not like they're shitting on the sport, you know, and just sitting ringside like uh, Elizabeth. Now it's nice to look at, but uh, it's nice to also see them get in there and work, you know, without uh, decimating the sport. I just felt so bad watching Candace Michelle do a flip bump up and falling on her face. Yeah, it's actually pretty hilarious. It's <laughs> it's great to see the replay on that stuff. It's like watching a train wreck. You really you you don't want to see it, but you can't look away. But uh, honestly, to get back to your question, I mean, you know, if, if any of the young young guys or young boys or people just breaking in are are um, are uh, ever invited to a WWE taping, really, when you get there. Uh, shut your mouth, listen up, and be respectful. And if you're told that you can get into the ring, then don't get out of that ring until you're told to get out of the ring. I mean, if anybody doesn't take advantage of working out in the ring the full you know, hour or two that you're allowed, then they're fools because you've got an opportunity where you're getting paid a decent match, you're getting a decent PO, 
and you're getting paid to learn with, you know, prominent superstars. I mean, what, what kind of opportunity, who would give up that opportunity? But there's, you know, these young kids that they get to the WWE tapings and they're all of a sudden they're the main event and those guys don't last very long. There was one up in Canada, a big guy, Matt, you probably know the guy and uh, he works in tapings. He was the same way. And I think he's out of the business now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What was that dude's name? Uh, I don't, you know what? I don't even remember. I, I've got a real short memory for, for wrestling. I mean, you come across so many people and I don't even feel like I'm one of the veteran guys. I mean, I'm still, I still see myself as a newcomer. Um, and I've been doing it for, what, uh, well, over 10 years now. But uh, I see, you know, just kids come and go. And, uh, you know, they're forgetful faces. But really, even now, I mean, we go to a locker room and I, I try to be respectful to everybody. And, and uh, Matt does the same thing. I've learned a lot from Matt. He's kind of the senior guy in the tag team. He's been around a lot longer than I have, and uh, I've just learned a lot from him. And you just show up, you know, have a good time with the boys and be respectful, introduce yourself to everybody. But you get these, some, some of these young kids that they don't have the same respect. And it's co- almost killed the business a little bit. It's almost killed the enjoyment of the business. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, on the last show, we heard about how Matt Farmer br- – oh, I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, oh, yeah. on the last show, we heard about how Matt Farmer broke into the business. Chris, how, how did you get in? Um, I actually got in uh, being a fan of wrestling growing up. I would I would go to the airport and I would uh, meet people like Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Paul Orndorff coming into the airport and uh, basically just getting autographs because I knew there was an entry into town that was a very uh, thin funnel and I knew that was the airport. I mean, you, you can't come into town without going through the airport. So I would find them there and uh, I met a few of the wrestlers and became friends with them, uh, namely Junkyard Dog. And then he introduced us to somebody who then, when we were backstage, he wanted us to give a ride to a couple of the wrestlers. And one was Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart and Owen Hart. And uh, from then on, uh, Owen was was broke into the business or the WWE at like 22. And I was uh, 17 or 18 at the time, so we were similar ages. So we hit it off. We became great friends. And uh, then he invited me up to his wedding. Uh, So I actually held the flash for all of the – photographs at his wedding and and we were just great great friends up until the time he died but um he was really the one instrumental in breaking me into the business oh wow that's a very interesting story so who trained you um actually well hold wise and psychology wise i was trained by owen and then fundamental wise as far as moves i was trained by uh, initially, um, a guy up here, Randy Taylor, and uh, probably more prominently, Tim Flowers, who uh, worked All-Star Wrestling and uh, had several runs in other territories. And then uh, from then, I, I really learned quite a bit um, more to, to become, a, 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 I guess, a more uh, efficient or proficient wrestler, and that's from Matt Farmer. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. So what are your uh, what are some common mistakes that uh, a lot of young people breaking into business today? Uh, what do they do not only in the locker room but in the ring? That, you, that, you... Uh, that, that I work with, they they want to get every single move out in their arsenal. They want to do all the the monkey flips, the moon salts, the uh, the high spots, and they think that they just basically sold out the building, and they think everybody needs to uh, see them when if they would just stop and learn how to read a crowd a little bit and, and learn how to put on a headlock and, uh, you know, lock an arm bar, they'd be much better off than trying to do every single high spot move in the book. Yeah. 
You know, and actually, this is something that I was just, I've just, the last couple months or so, I've been really noticing a lot. A lot of the young guys come into the locker room after their match, and they brag about their match. I mean, they sit there and say, oh, this was great, and that was great, and what we did was so great, and did you hear the crowd? You know, and in, in all honesty, you should actually let the crowd or someone else tell you that your match was good. You know, and that's actually something that Buddy Wayne told me. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, you shouldn't come back in the locker room and brag about how great your match was. Sure, you might have thought everything went well, which is good, and you talk to your opponent about it, but you don't come in the locker room bragging outwardly about how great it was because, in all honesty, it might not have been that great, like Buddy Wayne said. Um, it probably wasn't that great. It probably sucked, and the crowd probably didn't care for it too much. Not only did it probably suck, but the next two years of worth of matches are going to suck. And it's unfortunate that the kids nowadays don't get the advantage of breaking in like Matt and I did. Cause I remember my very first matchup in Cloverdale, I was scared shitless. I was shaking the whole time. I remember I couldn't breathe. I could not catch my breath in the ring. I was cotton mouth the whole time. Then when I got back to the locker room, I, I didn't see my, uh, my opponent because we, we had the heel and the baby's locker room separated. And I sat right in the middle. If I remember right, it was right in the middle of, uh, Matt Farmer, he was he was doing the mask uh, gimmick back then, and uh, Jerry Morrow, and Jerry Morrow was smoking his usual pack of cigarettes, and I still was trying to catch my breath, and I was too scared shitless to say anything, and I don't think it's like that enough, and it's it's too bad because that's that's where the the art is lost. I have to say I have, I have three matches under my belt, and then uh, I, have, I have a thing to where I can't hear the crowd. Now, did any of y'all ever experience that early on? Or were you working with someone experienced who could, who could walk you through it? And then eventually, when were you able to start picking up on the crowd? Is that a skill you have to learn, or do your ears finally open it's, up? Or It's something you're going to learn with time. You know, to be honest with you, I mean, your first couple of years is learning experience. And you're not going to really, you're not going to understand the gist of it until after having a couple hundred matches. Um, yeah, the I reason you can't hear the, the crowd. Yeah, the reason you can't hear the crowd is because of nerves. You're more thinking about what you guys maybe, you know, talked about or um, what you had thought the match was going to look like in your head. And you, you aren't, aren't uh, your nerves aren't calmed enough to realize you've got to experience the match. You've got to experience the crowd. You've got to experience the moment. And that just comes with time. I mean, that came, I never really got that until I was, I was working uh, with Matt and we would work several different opponents. And there was times where you just know who you're working and you go in there and work them and nothing is discussed. And that's when you learn how to work. And I never learned that until I, until I started working with Matt. Yeah. When, when Chris and I first started tagging, we, you know, I, I, it was one of the things where I, you know, we would not talk about a lot of stuff that we would want to do beforehand. We would feel it out, you know, and, and to me that you're, you're giving the crowd, the crowd the best match then because you're able to give them what they want at that time because if you're pre-planning your match, you know, how, how do you tell what kind of, what kind of, how the fan's going to react to you? Exactly, and, in, and it, it's tough to learn that, but you go through, you know, once you've been in the business long enough, and like I said, I'm still new. I still, every time I walk in the locker room, I feel like I'm a new guy. And when you get a chance to work at WWE tapings, when you get a chance to work the – Los Vianos, when you get a chance to work, you know, the Naturals, when you get a chance to, you know, work Colonel De Beers and Buddy Wing, you pick up on what they're doing. Uh, David Sierra and, uh, and uh, the Grappler, you learn from them, and then you just internalize it, bank it away, 
and then that increases your experience and it increases your uh, your confidence in every match. And so then you can start listening to the crowd and you can start acting um, according to the crowd because some crowds are different. Some crowds will pop for a, a, a moonsault outside the, the ropes, you know, like Matt and I did in Hawaii. Or uh, some crowds will uh, pop if you just sit down and, and hold an arm for, for the next three minutes. It just really depends. But it takes time. It takes experience. Okay, so... Um... When when did y'all start? How how did it come together that y'all started teaming, and then how has your uh, how has your tag team work increased over the years? I mean, how has your tag team well, the quality well, of your matches it, increased over the years? Yeah, well, how how we started as a team is I had a previous tag partner, and we were the Suicide Kings um, originally. We were now we we got booked on a uh, on a, I believe a group of lucha shows down in Oregon, and and these lucha shows were well drawing shows. It just so happened that my tag partner um, got a change in, in employment, and he ended up having to, to Chicago, where he currently wrestles. Um, and Chris and I were working together at the time, and so I just had, and Chris had already been wrestling for some time, and you know we had a lot of similar likes and interests and things like that. And so I just asked him to come down and tag up with me, and ever since then we've been hitting it off and on the road. So yeah, and it was so it was kind of by default, and and uh, I think. Matt maybe saw some some talent in me, and he was already established as one of the uh, most over guys. And I was fortunate enough to team up with him, and and then one thing led to another. And and that's fortunate when we get booked on the shows, we, we get booked as the the, uh, the the tag team on top. But uh, it's still uh, it's still an honor every time we step into the ring. I mean, I, I look at it as man, what a, what a great matchup, and it seems to work. It seems to click. And in Hawaii, we're uh, we're pretty over heels out there. It's just because the two personalities click. That's all it is. Yeah. Okay. So, so you said a while ago you worked the Naturals. I was wondering, uh, how did the match go with the Naturals? Oh, Matt. Matt Farmer can talk on that. Those guys are just peachy to work. I, I think we actually discussed this last time we were eyes on the air. Yeah. Oh, oh did we? Yeah. yeah we but the the we Empire the Empire wants to know. So. Well, without indicting myself too much, I, I would just like to say it's really no wonder that uh, because of one of the one of the personalities in there, it's no wonder that those guys are not on television anymore. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's great. It, it's great that guys. You know, I'm, I I won't knock their ability at all. You know? No, that, Chase Chase Stevens has one of the one of the best abilities in ring, as uh, John Saxon said. That he's a damn good hand. Um, but it's just unfortunate that some personalities don't click maybe with the other boys and it creates some animosity and things just don't go right because no matter how you look at it in any job, whether you're working at a supermarket or an Arco gas station, you got to play politics within, within the workplace. And it's not playing politics. It's just having the decency to get along with everybody else and adjusting to different personalities. And some people maybe don't have that capability, but those guys are great workers. They're, they're great hands in the ring. That's for sure. You know, and, and in all fairness, they you know if we wrestled them ten times, we probably only have we only only have that problem once. Um, a lot of it had to do with the state of mind that they were in when they entered the ring, which wasn't good. Um, yeah, they probably shouldn't have been um, practic- you know been involved in the activities that they were involved with before the match, and that that's what really you know really caused the problem in the match. What they yeah, and it's unfortunate because that's when things start to get you know unprofessional, and and you really start. Uh, start resenting someone. 
Hey, guys, I got to break. Uh, Jillian's off stage now. I've got to go uh, meet up with, uh, with mo- one of my artists. Hey, you guys are down in the San Diego area, right? I'm in the San Diego area, yes. I'm outside. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Whoever's down in the San Diego area, maybe in the Bay Area, too. Uh, but uh, catch Lee Coulter uh, down in the San Diego area. I think he's tonight at, was at the, uh, the Hard Rock. Maybe he's going on here in a little bit. Hello? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think he's uh, at the Hard Rock tonight, but uh, Lee Coulter, is a, is a, I now manage him exclusively, 100%. He's an amazing artist, so uh, check him out at LeeCoulter.com, also MySpace.com slash Lee Coulter. You guys will enjoy him. But, uh, hey, thanks a lot for having me on the show. Matt, I will see you Saturday night. We'll be uh, getting ready for a big uh, Coke binge off a of stripper's ass. And uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Oh, boy. I'm in trouble, Alex. I am in big trouble. What's going on? I'm in big trouble, man. Spit it out. My mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is listening to the show. Uh oh. (laughs) So uh, I'm in trouble. You you never said you did coke off a stripper's ass. How's your mother-in-law look? Kayfabe that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. uh, All right. Um. Excuse me. So uh, y'all yeah. worked Lyndon, and you say you met, on the last show you say you worked Matt Bourne before, right? Yeah, actually, I just wrestled him up two weeks ago or so. Mm-hmm. You know okay, so you worked all these. You worked all these. Le- oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying you've worked all these legends. Now, uh, when was the earliest in your career? Like, you know, believe it or not, the first guy that I worked at was probably an experienced guy because my first year or so I wrestled my old tag team partner, Nikki Six, who uh, owns a – or uh, is one of the co- co-owners of a promotion in Chicago. Um, uh, him and I trained together. We broke in together. And probably for the first year, we wrestled each other almost exclusively. <coughs> Excuse me. We would we would work every, a few other guys off and on here or there, but pretty much we – we were booked against each other all up and down the West Coast. Now, the first guy that I really worked with was Playboy Buddy Rose that had a previous experience. And as a young kid, you know, Buddy Rose to me, because I grew up in the Northwest, he was the man, you know. So mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to wrestle him. And that time, that was when I first understood the difference between what he did, what I thought wrestling was. You know, I really learned a lot, even though it was a, an eight-minute match, I really learned just a tremendous amount in that match. With, with a, a lot of independent wrestling today, people take a lot more risks than probably what they did when you got in the business. What was considered something risky when you were first getting in the business? You know, I, I used to, and I, and I learned from it, but I used to always do the old, you know the old move that Cactus Jack used to do where you do the elbow drop off the apron to the floor? Uh-huh. I used to do that. I used to do that move often, and uh, I, I think it was like the tenth or eleventh time that I did it. I get got some bone, pretty bad bone chips in my elbow, and um, you know, I, some of the old veteran guys they were always complaining that I was doing the move, and I never understood why. But you know, it it just, there just wasn't a time and. The matches that I were in, there was no time or no place for it. You know, I was like trying to overshine the main event. And uh-huh. really, 
probably I, I shouldn't have never done those moves, you know. Um, and, and when I was younger, I used to take more risks than I will now. Um, once in a while, I will, you know, take a couple crazy bumps or something like that. And a lot of a lot of times in matches, I'll take like a backdrop on the floor or something like that. But nothing that's going to compress my spine. It's not worth it. <laughs> Speaking of compressing your spine, uh, have you ever worked Jack Evans? Yeah, I have actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've worked him a couple times actually. Um, what's funny is the first time I worked him, I was actually kind of scared that I was going to hurt him because he's so flexible, and he, you know, he's he's so flexible that like you got in a submission hold or something, and you could bend him and pull him. Yeah, yeah. I actually feel that I'm going to hurt him when I like I had him in a vertical suplex one time and he bowed his body back. And I just thought, man, I'm going to hurt this guy, you know. I'm going to, like, break his neck or something. But <laughs> he's a tough little guy, you know. He's a tough guy. Uh-huh. So have you seen any recent Jack Evans? Um, I probably, I've probably seen some Ring of Honor recently. Um, in the last year or so, I've seen some, you know. I, actually, I, was, I saw a Ring of Honor show on Chicago about a year ago. So, and he was on, yeah, he was on that show, so. Uh, so you've seen some Ring of Honor. How do you feel about the Ring of Honor product? You know, I, I do enjoy it. I, here's the thing, though. Is I could watch it. I could sit down and watch a match, or I could watch one or two matches, and I'll enjoy it. But I still am not able to watch an entire show all the way through. I don't know why. I think, to me, it's overkill. Um, maybe it's just a generation that I grew up in. But I, And I've been to a lot of live shows, and I won't, will not ever knock the talent of the guys. Or the booker, because the shows are booked well. It's just, to me, it's overkill. It's like watching a three-hour-long car wreck, you know, or a car chase. And I'm just not, myself personally, I'm just not a huge fan of that. It's very, very hard for me. I mean, I don't want to go on this for too long. It's very hard for me to watch one. It puts me to sleep because I've seen so much stuff in the first match. And then, um, speaking of that, I mean... uh, there is a certain art to, you know, the a pacing of a show. So how do you, uh, depending on where you're putting the card, how, how, how do you work the match? It's very important, um, booking, the, booking the card, booking the entire card. A lot of independent bookers do not book a, a, a show as a show. I mean, a, a card is supposed to be booked just like a match, you know, a beginning and a middle and an end, a couple peaks and valleys in the middle, you know. Really, like, okay, so, like, let's say if I'm booking the card, you know, I want to have a hot opener, a decent opener. But then you got to remember after intermission, you got to cool them off a little bit, get them back into the action. You know, there, there is an art to booking. And, unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand that. Um, these independent shows where there's a million promos done in the ring, you know, that, that kills the crowd. You know, I, I've been on a million independent shows where the promoter who's, you know, the character in the show also wants to get in there and talk for five minutes, and you know, little things like that really affects your show. So how do you? Uh, so if you're in the main event, you just you just pull out more stops, would you say, or uh, how would you work a match differently if you were the first match on after intermission, or if you were in the main event? Okay, well, if you're in the opening match, for instance, you want to do you want to get the crowd excited because you set the tempo of the show. 
but you do want to do a lot. But you don't, at the same time, you don't want to go out and grab a chair and start hitting somebody. You don't want to do something. Um, you don't want to go out and hit a bunch of finishing maneuvers. You, know, you don't want to go out and um, go out into the crowd. You know, maybe you don't want to go out and do a bunch of dives. You want to save that for the last, you know, because you really want those pops to go on later on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, match, say, after intermission. Usually your crowd's been walking, you know, the, the crowd's been walking around, moseying around a little bit here or there. So what you really need to do is you really need to just get in the ring, bring them slowly back into the match, and, um, you know, take your time with it. It's hard to say specifically because all crowds are different, you know? Yes. But, I mean, you do – I remember when I was first starting off, and I remember getting annoyed by the fact that the promoter would come up to me and say, okay, we don't want to see any moves off the top rope, and we don't want you going outside the ring. And I always thought at the time that they were holding me back. But now that I'm older, I understand that they, they weren't doing that. They were, in fact, actually um, they were actually wanting the show to make sense. Because, you know, maybe in the, late, in the main event or something, they had somebody that was going outside the ring. Hmm. It's just a respect issue, you know. It's not only just a respect issue alone, but it's also, you know, you've got to build a show. A show's, you know, it's like a, a movie or a TV show. Yes. Okay, KZ, you there? Yeah, I'm here, brother. I'm just just learning. Okay, hey, you got any questions? I'm about to use the bathroom real quick. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> okay. We're on live. Not giving me any breaks anymore, man. Yeah. <laughs> How long do you All think right, the show runs? If, if, Go ahead, shoot. If, uh, if I could against any tag team... And that's a unsigned team, i.e., uh, WWE, TNA, ROH per se. Who would you Who would you want to work with? Um, you know, I would. I'd really like to work, of course, some of the older veteran tag teams. I'd really love to work like the Rock and Roll Express or the Midnight Express. Um, you know, and I I know those guys. You know, they're they've been around a long time and things like that. But I'd really love to work those. Um, I'd also really like to work, and I, I guess they're not teaming anymore, but Ray Bucanero and uh, Ultimo Guerrero, really love to work those guys. Um, and the Briscoes. Briscoes are a good tag team, too. They do a lot, but they're very good you know what they do. I'd like to work those guys. I, I would like to see the, the Kings either hook up with the Tomasellis out of Chicago or okay. uh, yeah, I know who they are. the Heartbreak Express out of Florida. Um, Heartbreak Express, they're a throwback. Um, they're a lot like the Midnights, but uh, okay. they, they use a little more the effeminate type. Uh, yeah, I know who they are, actually. I've seen them. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like, enjoy to work those guys. Yeah, those they're they're really, really solid. And, and there's a reason they're the AWA tag champs. You know, oh, okay. Just, uh, yeah, that, I'd really, really enjoy solid. to work those guys. <clears throat> you know, okay, so... Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying, I favor the guys that that wrestle a little more consistent style. You know, they they, they don't necessarily do a lot of the, uh, you know, you're not going to see 50 million finishers in a match, you know. Um, a lot of the double crazy double-team moves, it, it's almost overkill because, you know, the, the, ba- 
the average fan, they don't quite understand what some of those moves mean. Where if you pick up a guy and slam him, they understand that. But if you flip him around and drop him, they don't quite understand that. So I really enjoy the teams that use a lot of basic at times. So, no, I'm sorry, what were you So, um, after the 26th, what do you have coming up? You know, uh, there's a weekly promotion down in Oregon that they want me down there quite often. Um, Chris has got, like, Chris is my tag partner. He's got a lot of um, other business working with right now, so his he's not open to wrestle as much as I am. So um, I still work as a singles down in Oregon, and I'll probably go back there um, next week. So we've got a couple couple um, two- or three-day tours that we're going to do down in Oregon. So, um, well, you know, a lot of that, a lot of local stuff, I I have had a couple chances or a couple offers to go out to the coast, um, West Virginia, I guess. And so, you know, that's something that might be in the near future here. So, what's well, the Bobby Lashley being uh, leaving the company? There's no chance you're going to be entering the Royal Rumble on Sunday, is there? Oh, don't look like it. <laughs> nah, don't look he's like going it. back to MMA. Yeah, but that's at least that that's what word is out of San Jose. So yeah, well, good for him, you know, good for him. I don't buy the and, whole. Uh, I, you know, you guys, did you guys hear about his girlfriend posting on MySpace about it being a racist deal? Oh uh, yes, I did read that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't quite believe that. I mean, they were they were trying to push Lashley as hard as they possibly could, you know. Mhm. He was in a big WrestleMania know. match. Over a lot of people had been there a lot longer. Yeah, definitely, and for his skill level, you know, his push definitely didn't equate to his skill level, you know. Maybe his look, but not his skill level. It's amazing because they really took care of Lashley because first major program was against Fitz Finley, I mean, uh, Stephen Regal, and then his next major program was against uh, Finley, and then they put him in there with Booker T. So they gave, I mean, they gave him all the, the chances, you know, to get in there with good guys and learn how to work. And then it seems like Lashley never lived up to his potential. No, you know, and maybe he just wasn't completely interested in it. A lot of times it takes a person that's really in love with the business to, to be good at it. So maybe he just didn't, he wasn't that type of person. And, and another thing is, too, is being a great athlete doesn't always mean that you adapt to being a pro wrestler. I have to agree. I have to agree. Yeah. But I... I, I... My feelings on him is uh, he's going to go back to American Kickboxing Academy, San Jose, and, and pick up where he left off in 2004 with the MMA training. Um, yeah. He's going to follow well, have Brock. You ever, have you ever done any MMA training or any jiu-jitsu training, Matt Palmer? You know, I did, I did do a lot of uh, submission grappling when I was younger. I, I, was a big, I was a big, big fan of um, Greco and amateur wrestling, style wrestling when I was younger. Um, I even got it got down there on the mat a few times with some mission grapplers, but this was the early nineties when it was such a totally a different sport. You know, it was a really a lot uh um, you know, submission it was I, I guess I would you know, old pancreas. A lot of the old locks, the key locks, toe holds and things like that. I am pretty familiar with that actually. I do have Did a you lot get of a chance to roll with um did you get a chance to roll with Paul Lesenby? No, I've actually wrestled him before, but I didn't actually work out with him at all. Oh, I've seen him shoot on some people, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, do share. Do share the Paul stories. Well, yeah, I'm trying to remember the story exactly, but I do remember that there was, and I know Brian was there, Alvarez was there as well. Um, there was a show we worked up in Cloverdale, and Brian was probably just, it was probably his second or third match, I don't know. But um, Lesby was one of the AOD, the AOD guys at the time, Army of Darkness with Dr. Luther. And there was a guy, musclehead wrestler, can't remember his name, but he was a pretty thickly built guy. Out, spouting off about how tough he was, and Jim Flowers, who was the promoter, overheard from somebody that he bragging that if this was real, he would beat everybody up. Well, he was booked against Paul Lesby that night, and make a long story short, is Paul Lesby pretty much proved that he couldn't beat everybody up. And <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting night for sure. Have you have uh, has Josh Barnett worked any shows in the North? As I know, he he worked some in Japan. Did he ever work in the in the Northwest? No, but you know he trains out here all the time. Um, I, and I've actually I've actually uh, visited with with Josh quite a bit. He's a good guy. But yeah, he lives in the area. He lives probably about twenty minutes from me. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I know he's a big fan of wrestling, pro wrestling, but I don't know where his contract situation is. Hmm. Okay. I know when he was with Pride, because um, we talked about this, he he was not allowed to work like any pro wrestling shows unless they booked him through them. So he couldn't do like independence or anything like that. Do you know if he ever wanted to get into the professional wrestling? And like I said, I know he did the, the matches in Japan. I mean, has he ever wanted to yeah, independent know, wrestling? Before before he was able to make so much money in MMA, that was his goal. Actually, was to get into WWE. Um, oh wow! I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where it sits now, but that's what he always wanted. To, uh, I'm sure because of the money situation now, he could probably make as much money in MMA now. But that was always one of his goals. The only thing really holding him back is that, you know, he didn't have a marketable look in the U.S. You know, mm. as a pro wrestler. A, how, how big is Josh? Josh always looked like a huge guy he's on TV. Huge. He's a big guy, you know. Um, he's about, I would say he's about 6'3". He's probably about 240 or 250. He's a, he's a big-sized guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember talking to him one time about Billy Robinson. Um, you, you know, everybody's heard the, the, the stories about Billy Robinson and things like that. And He was doing a seminar with Billy, Billy in Japan. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also another local shooter from back in the days that used to work the carnivals out in this area, Dick Cardinal. And Dick and Dick and Josh and uh, Billy were going to be doing some seminars, some shoot seminars. And so I was talking to Josh about Billy. I was like, tell me the truth. Because he actually rolled around with Billy a little bit. I was like, tell me the truth. If, if Billy was in MMA, how do you think he would do? And Josh looked point directly at me and he said, if Lee Robinson was in MMA today, he'd be easily one of the top guys in MMA. No, like oh wow, no, no hesitation at all. No hesitation. So oh wow, yeah, it says a lot about Billy Robinson, you know. And I I don't know how old he is now, but he's probably in his seventies now. Uh-huh. And uh, Barnett says that he's still a tough old bastard. It's unfortunate that MMA wasn't 
a sport before because a lot of guys that I mean it was it's kind of one thing because a lot of the guys who were the tough guys that ended up getting into pro wrestling might have went the MMA route like a Laverne Gagne or something like that. So we might have missed out on some good professional wrestlers. But it'd been interesting to see, you know, Vern Gagne get into MMA or a Billy Robinson or someone like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a lot of guys like a guy like Vern Gagne, for instance. You know, from all the stories I've heard, he was actually a pretty tough street fighter himself. A lot, you know, he knocked out Dick the Bruiser in a fight. Um, you know, and he wasn't—he wasn't just a great amateur wrestler. He was, from what I understood, is that, and he doesn't look like it, but he was a guy that was willing to scrap. You know, so you never know. It's hard to say who's tough and who's not tough. Mhm. So, uh, the guy. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Um, one of the guys that I trained as a pro wrestler a few years back. Oh, probably about five or six years ago. He went to do went to do some local MMA fights and he trained under Dennis Hallman, you know, and had a pretty good record. I think it was seven and one. I think he's still still planning on fighting again, but that was a case where like whenever we'd grapple I was able to submit him every time. You know, and actually I could even call out the move that I'd submit him on, so it's funny. You never know it's hard to say who beat who and who can't beat. Well, uh, Matt Farmer, it's been uh, awesome having you on, and uh, it was awesome having your tag team partner on. Um, you got Thanks, any plugs? <clears throat> Sorry, I've got a cold. Yeah, definitely. Um, January 26th, this Saturday, Tulalip, Washington, which is uh, just north of Everett, Washington, north of Seattle, Washington, <laughs> um, 7 p.m. bell time, Tulalip Championship Wrestling, be there it's at 8 p.m., or I'm sorry, 7 p.m. Um, check us out on MySpace, of course. I believe it's myspace.com slash Toilet Championship Wrestling, or you can go to superworldsports.com and we'll have information on that there, too. So. Awesome. Um, yep. Thank you for your time, Matt. Um, yeah, no problem. Good luck, on, good luck on Saturday and be safe. And I want you to do me a very special favor. I would like to, for you to give Chico Alvarez a very stiff chop for me, please. I will do that. I will do that. And I will be greatly appreciative because he's off playing with little boys in tights instead of being on the show tonight. He's so. always doing that. He's always doing that. So. Well, uh, it, looks like, again. it looks like um, in the spring, more likely, I'm coming out there to train with Buddy Wayne. So uh, I'll definitely be hitting you up when I'm up there. Awesome. We'll have to get on the mat together. I'll be up there. I like to go up to Buddy's house and work out. So, Awesome. Well, it'll be a great opportunity. Definitely. All right, guys. Well, you have a good evening, okay? Thanks again for having me. All right. Thank you very much for coming on. Okay, All right, brother. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. Bye. All right, buddy. we got about five minutes to go. Another great show this week. Yes. We had uh, two great shows back-to-back. Oh, yeah. Now, what the hell? I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. Um, one of our co-hosts, David Farmer, has David Fuller. appeared in an interview. David Fuller? Uh, David Fuller. Fuller, Fuller, <laughs> Fuller. Fuller, can't use his shoot name. David Fuller has set up an interview with the one and only Rob Van Dam for Rubber Guard Radio next week. I am absolutely fucking amazed and proud of Mr. Mister. Uh, uh, fuller, Fuller, Fuller. Damn it. See, I keep dipping in and out of kayfabe here. It's, it's, 
<laughs> I'm, I'm confused. But we have about four minutes remaining, so um, plug away, Alex. Plug away. I got my MySpace. I haven't got any friend ads yet, but uh, www.myspace.com backslash CM Saint. Add me as a friend. Um, New Wave. Uh, might be some big things coming up in New Wave, and uh, I'm always on here. And uh, So as, as stuff comes up, uh, right now it's just in talks, but when stuff comes up, I'll, I'll let everyone know on Rubber Guard Radio first. And uh, just keep going to independent wrestling. I mean, uh, you got big shows in Washington and Texas coming up and California. So, uh, just keep going to shows. Keep supporting wrestling. Cool. And then go the number 30th entry in the Royal Rumble because on the fourth Royal Rumble pool, I was originally 16, but he t- Brian took it away from me for some reason and gave me number 30. So, uh, go number 30 in the, in the Royal Rumble, whoever it happens to be on Sunday. So, hopefully I get that free shout-out. Tremendous. Of course, you use that shout-out to plug our show, baby. I'll, I'll, I'll plug a new way show. You're right. <laughs> oh, oh, that hurt. <laughs> All right. MySpace.com backslash Rubber Guard Radio. Um, you're a listener, fan, worker, manager, referee, promoter. Hell, anybody. I'll be your friend. Um, we'll even get you on the show. You know, if you have something to talk about, you know, pretty much anything, you can hit me up on MySpace. We'll get you booked. Um, I know my wife out there is listening. Jessica, I love you and you are my life. Enough of the mushy stuff. Also, I'd like to, um, if you're anywhere near the Seattle area or plan on moving around the Seattle area and you want to become a pro wrestler, I strongly advise going to the Buddy Wayne Wrestling Academy, uh, buddywayne.net. Go and get trained properly. Buddy knows his shit. Or if you're in the L.A. area, uh, San Diego area, the New Wave Pro Wrestling School as well. Um, I can't put them over enough. They've done wonders. Uh, my sponsor, WrestleWarehouse.com. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, check him out. He should be getting in some new merchandise rather quickly. Uh, there's SoCal Pro Wrestling t-shirts. There's the kick-ass SoCal Crazy t-shirt. I want one of those. Yeah, I got um, one. Oh, you got one? Ah, they're cool. They're cool. So, yeah, check out that dude, uh, WrestleWarehouse.com, NewWaveProWrestling.com, SoCalProWrestling.com. Uh Figurefouronline.com. Um, they posted up a free three-hour Dr. Keith show tonight. So that's free, dude. And I, th- I would sign up just for the Dr. Keith show, never mind everything else. I mean, Dr. Doc, Doc, Dr. Keith uh, rivals us in the indie wackiness category. But, uh, yeah, that's a free show. So uh, you can check that one out, uh, wrestlingobserver.com. Uh, go to Dave, even though, even though the prick doesn't post our shows. But still, you know, <laughs> you want the news from the horse's mouth. So I guess uh, we're going to head out of here. In the last minute, I'm going to play a uh, commercial on the way out. Alex, I will talk to you on, I don't know, Thursday, sometime right? next week. Yeah, Some, sometime it. next week. It, right, it depends on Mr. Uh, Mr. Van Damme's schedule. So. Okay, awesome. I'll work around Mr. Monday night. There it is. <laughs> All right, brother. Wouldn't be the first person that's had to work around him. <laughs> Yeah, no shit. Oh! Oh, that was low. That was low. That was low. All right, dude, I'm going to head out with uh going to head out with a promo for a friend of the show here who also has another radio show. So, we're out of here, brother. Peace.
in for wrestling discussion and also your clock seems to stick on 420, I have the radio show for you. It's called the Peace Pipe Hour with your host Ben Jordan and a friend of the show, Vito Tomasello. You can find information about their show at www.intherotation.com and they also stream live on Blog Talk Radio, blogtalkradio.com backslash. Okay, we have a few seconds remaining, so uh, let me plug Elite Pro Wrestling, the Tomaselli's promotion. EliteProWrestling.com, check out their TV show every Friday night. Later! Blog Talk Radio.